So um, initially, when I was asked to do this talk, uh, I was struck by the title of the series and wondered how exactly my research fit within discourses of race, ethics, and power. So my dissertation research broadly seeks to re-narrate the Haitian Revolution through Black feminist and Black queer epistemology. And in short, my project really reimagines the Saint-Domingue rebellion by centering sensuousness, embodiment, spirituality, labor, marinage, and resistance. So within this context, a lot comes to mind when thinking of race, ethics, and power. So thinking through the history of the Haitian Revolution brings a load of racial analysis, right? Countless debates on the ethical ways to abolish slavery. Um, and of course, numerous investigations on the forces of colonial power versus black radical insurgency, et cetera, et cetera. So although all those topics would make for interesting talks on their own, I was really more drawn to the idea of the ethics of history itself the telling of the story, its material consequences on one hand, but also the impact and the power that a narrative can possess. To tell a different story or tell it in a different way from a different point of view, will we engender different outcomes? Can those outcomes alter our present, our future? So, you know, one of the questions that has been plaguing me throughout my whole PhD program really, um, is how does one ethically do histories of Black resistance? So as an emerging scholar uh, who was trained mostly through feminist, Black, diasporic, and queer interdisciplinary theories in programs such as gender studies, women's studies, Black studies, I constantly had to contend with being caught in sort of like a weird liminal space where theories are abound and analysis is king and critical thinking skills are imperative, but where methods and methodologies seem somewhat of a mystery, anyways, to me. Um, in the context of studying a black radical insurgency, such as the Haitian revolution, I realized that the historical archive I was looking for to tell the story I know is worth telling within the larger context of black liberation was just not easy to find. Um, for instance, when I was visiting the French National Archives, I felt lost within all the countless letters of planters and enslavers, all their dehumanizing and demonizing language uh, towards the enslaved and les gentilards, the planters' petulance over property damage. And really there was a collective narrative that at once condemned the seemingly chaotic violent, disorderly actions of the enslaved, whilst also attributing them absolutely no agency throughout the unfolding of the revolution. Like these discourses would go on saying that they were puppets of the French Republican commissioners and or of the wealthy people of color and that they didn't have the agency to seek freedom for themselves. So were the types of narratives that kept bombarding me in those uh, French archives. And then I looked through my little booklets of notes and like magic um, quotes from uh, my readings of Michel Rocrio sort of came out from his book, Silencing the Past. And those quotes really reminded me that the Haitian revolution um, quote, entered history with the peculiar characteristic of being unthinkable, even as it happened. So clearly that's what was being represented in these archives, right? This unthinkable event 
The fight for freedom and the formation of the first Black Republic was denied and erased by imperialist rulers and later Western historians, highlighting the way in which power becomes constitutive of historical narratives. Put in another way, Kara Keeling in her new monograph, Queer Time, Black Futures, articulates that the Haitian Revolution was a Black Swan event, an event that, quote, within the calculation of the colonization of the Americas, the Atlantic slave trade, and the logics of white supremacy, end quote, was deemed improbable, unthinkable. I really love her use of the concept of the Black Swan event. Um, it's a theory that was coined by Nassim Nicola Taleb, and it's mostly used in economics and finance. It's uh, meant to describe events with a combination of low predictability and large impact. So understanding the Haitian revolution through that lens not only puts into perspective the economic consequences of Black insurgency vis-a-vis -vis the accumulative stratagems of slavery, but also really stresses the colonial social negation of Black freedom. Accordingly, Keeling asserts, quote, it proved the Haitian revolution, it proved that Black belonging anchored in love of freedom and of Black people could be an anti-fragile revolutionary force at the same time that it demonstrated the robustness of European settler colonialism and white supremacy tethered to capitalist exploitation through the Western world. So then when it comes to thinking of this Western colonial white supremacist and capitalist robustness, we absolutely need to consider how these systems affect our ways of knowing, our ways to recount the past and our ways to understand black liberation. How can I, how can we really understand past emblems of the Black radical tradition through our colonial subjecthood, through our disciplinary frameworks guided through imperialism, through the disciplinary silos that restrict relation through the proper archives. The process of unearthing discourses of Black liberation through the silences and erasures of authoritative archives remain one of the most intellectually imaginative endeavors of Black studies, truly. Creating emancipatory methodologies and epistemologies through what Catherine McKittrick calls rogue interdisciplinarity allows us to generate Black modes of knowing that refuse to be contained or constrained within Western disciplinary silos. Although my entire dissertation aims to not only rearrange boundaries of freedom narration, it also seeks to respect Edouard conception of the right to opacity. In reimagining queerly diasporic articulation of the Haitian revolution, I aspire to queer black freedom in ways that quote, challenge the process of commensuration built into the demand to become perceptible according to existing conceptions of the world, end quote. Although we cannot ignore the epistemic material and effective violences of colonial modernity, my project urges the creation of black, of black ways of being and knowing beyond Western conceptions of time and space. To imagine the imaginable and to navigate what Trio calls the double-sidedness of history, the distinction between what happened and that which is said to have happened, Trio reminds us to examine how power infuses both popular and official memories of past terror, conditioning the structures of remembering and forgetting." End quote. A recognition of the power that molds these structures of remembering and forgetting 
allows us to ascertain why and how a radical acknowledgement of the slave resistance of Saint-Domingue would trouble Western discourses of modernity, thus illuminating the possibilities of Black fugitivity and Black freedom dreams requires a contextual and spiritual understanding of modernity. How does Black liberation show up within the parameters of modernity? In order to attempt to answer this query, the strict colonial and Western definitions of modernity need to be disassembled and reassessed. Beginning this intellectual review involves breaking down many of the terms, concepts, historiographies, and narratives that seem natural and static, therefore funneling many historical actors to the taxonomy of humanness. Um, I'm a big fan of the air quotes. Sylvia Winter's formulation of European understanding of modernity highlights the way in which European conceptions of self is directly linked to the irrational slash subrational human other. Considering the authority and the power linked to those human discourses, such hierarchical notions are made to be universalized, thereby relegating at best Blackness as subject. But thankfully, in her theorizing, Winter offers the creative potential to undo and unsettle as opposed to replace or occupy, quote, Western conceptions of what it means to be human, end quote. Indeed, as I attempt to frame this rearticulation of modernity, I am presenting its contextual ground with the understanding that Blackness is, quote, the empirical, experimental, symbolic site through which modernity and all of its unmet promises are enabled and made plain, end quote. And that's a quote from Catherine McKittrick's uh, book, um, on um, Sylvia Winter being human as praxis. Um, moreover, I'm grounding these analytical signposts within the terrain of the Haitian Revolution within the Caribbean, which Ronaldo Walcott centers as a space unique uh, space of unique invention in the colonial and modern world. So, recognizing that the Haitian Revolution entered history as being unthinkable, while also contemplating the fertile, imaginative, and inventive space of Haiti within the archipelagos of the Caribbean suggests that we have barely scratched the surface of the epistemic and liberatory promises of this world altering insurrection. Disentangling history from the, the grasp of Western models of modern conceptions of humanness, knowledges, time and space invite us to also consider quote, how history works rather than what history is. Thus insisting that we can call what that what we call the archive is not only a repository site of information, but also constitute a methodological concept. Here, my initial question on the ethics of Black liberation history is turned on its head by the recognition that the mainstream understanding of history and ethics are based on Western definitions that have foreclosed Black freedom dreams. These Western schools of thought that were integral to enlightenment dogmas were based on a classification system funneled through rationalization and sight. The over-reliance on sight-based understanding occludes not only other sensory knowledges, but renounces the relationship between the, sensor, the sensory, the spiritual, the spatial, the embodied, and the sensual. In short, what is being left out is the sensuous, the effective and erotic comprehension of freedom-making practices of Black liberation. Furthermore, envisioning something like Black fugitivity 
which, and I'm picking a quote from uh, Fred Moulton, acts as an ontology where blackness is conceived as a movement, deferral, escape, refusal of being reduced to a single thing, queerly proposes unique ways of being, knowing, and sensing the freedoms of the Haitian revolution. Indeed, I posit that such a rearticulation of the sociogenesis of modernity in its corresponding epistemological and methodological interventions represents a manifestation of what I call sensuous marinage, thereby recognizing the embodied freedom-making capacities of Blackness crossing through time and space. Using the conceptual framework of marinage through, through um, uh, brought forward by Neil Roberts in his book, Freedom as Marinage, I wish to invoke the term not simply to uh, highlight the notion of flight, but as a societal transformation resulting from the struggle to institute a distinct concept of freedom, a concept of freedom. I think that's something that's really powerful in that you know, type of definition to define marriage. Um, ultimately, the sensuous articulation of this process of liberation is tied to the reformulation of time and space and the agency in constructing one's own subject position and thus one's history. Going beyond Western ways of knowing, voodoo as an embodied practice of liberation offers an example of a counter archive to elucidate an alternate episteme of freedom. It reveals connaissance as an esoteric knowledge, an embodied knowledge that tends to the interrelation of land, body, blackness, and freedom dreams, spirituality, and sensuousness. Considering Western modernity's over-reliance on sight and observation as a process of visual discovery that is indispensable to European epistemologies, the embodied connaissance of voodoo reminds us that there exists a spirituality and a sensorium that predates empires of knowledge. Embracing the sensuous paradoxes of opacity impels me to be attuned to what Sadia Hartman dubs black noise, quote, the shrieks, the moans, the nonsense, and the opacity, which are always in excess of legibility and of the law and which hint at an embody, at, at and embody aspirations, end quote. In order to do this throughout my dissertation, I utilized a rich landscape of voodoo as a counter archive, which serves to critique and reimagine rigid and linear configuration of historical storytelling that obfuscate conceptions of Black freedom-making dreams and practices. Similar to the way in which Omiseke, Natasha Kinsley, and Lisa Zay Winters use the figure of the loi Elzuli to rearticulate notions of sexuality, gender, and freedom, I also employ the Elzuli figure to center the two main female sensuous actors of the slave insurrection, the concubine and the mambo. Moreover, I utilize the figure of Papa Gede to rearticulate the trope of the trickster to attend to the interconnectedness of sensuousness, gender, modernity, Black fugitivity, and queerness within the sociogenesis of Black liberation. Ritual, spir ritual, ritual spiritual embodiments such as possession rites and dancing, sonic interventions like singing, chanting, drumming, uh, drumming are also read alongside archival literary imaginary manifestations of Black freedom via revolution. I consider this methodological intervention as a demonstration of Edouard Huissant's poetics of relation through a promiscuous marriage of sensuous episteme, 
a construction of knowledgeable embodiment that Tinsley calls theoretical polyamory. As an Afro-diasporic spiritual practice that blossomed from West African religion tradition and syncretized through the colonial history of slavery and revolution, the tripartite roots of voodoo intimately link the ancestors, the land, and the spirit. Taking into account this deep connection to land highlights the sans poetic of landscapes as well, where the Black subject can be reconciled with geography, with its material and spiritual structures. This conceptual framework allows a reclaiming of the power of naming a place, which McKittrick argues is also a process of self-assertion and humanization, a naming of inevitable Black geographic presence, which in short relates naming a place to act of naming the self and self-history. This methodological and epistemological break offers a way to re-narrate the Haitian Revolution through an embodied diasporic literacy, a term from Bebe Clark, that reads the vast sexual, the vast <laughs> sexual and textual terrain of voodoo. Moreover, according to Joan Diane, voodoo's practices must also be viewed as ritual and reenactments of Haiti's colonial past, suggesting that the spatial embodiment of the Creole spiritual tradition also encompasses a queer temporal reading. Here, Kara Keeling's formulation of queer temporality is useful as it names that dimension of the unpredictable and the unknowable in time that governs errant, eccentric, promiscuous, and unexpected organizations of social life. Through this lens, whilst locating Haiti within and against discourses of European Enlightenment modernity, I ask the queering of temporal and spatial frames of the Haitian Revolution can assist in unraveling alternate renditions of Black liberation. So commonly, the timeline of the Haitian Revolution spans from 1791 to 1804. However, I'm suggesting that the spatial and temporal limitation that often characterize the way in which we think about historic events have in fact restrained and foreclosed alternative epistemologies of resistance and freedom. During my dissertation proposal defense, actually, in my uh, initial rem in intellectual rumination of sensuous marinage and its role vis-a-vis -vis the Haitian Revolution, one of my committee members, uh, Robin Kelly, aptly recognized that part of what I'm trying to articulate in this sort of queering time and space of the Haitian Revolution um, is I'm trying to articulate that the Haitian Revolution is not over. It's not over in Haiti and it's not over across the Black diaspora. I mean, clearly this is something we can sort of uh, see, uh, but then there's also so much that remains unseen, right? Um, indeed, reading time and space as queerly Black and diasporic and thus queering the Saint Domingue rebellion as part of the Black radical tradition opens up a foray to think about sensuous dreams and practices of marinage as being integral to Black liberation, even today. To be clear, my research isn't denying or obfuscating the material demands and actions that are being articulated through current protests in Haiti, for example, where the masses are requesting that government officials help be held accountable for embezzling public funds, 
through the killing of uh, Haitian civilians and other catastrophes engendered predominantly by US and other imperial powers occupations. I'm suggesting that the examination of reimagined histories of black liberation can perhaps also inform the embodied practices that are currently occluded from mainstream narratives via media, social media, Western news, and other sources upholding colonialist, heteropatriarchal, white supremacist, neoliberal, and capitalist notions of freedom. What unthinkable archives are being built right now? What remains unseen and or opaque from a visual colonial subjecthood? Are the revolutionary actors portrayed necessarily the only characters that bring forth Black liberation? Indeed, who are the sensuous actors of the Haitian Revolution redux? Although I would need a lot more time and, and research and no doubt more connaissance to unearth these archival gems, the terrain of Black geography, spirit time, erotic possibility, and the collective embodied memory, which I kind of see as sort of like a muscle memory of Black freedom, are definitely a good place to start. Thank you. <laughs>